This show is introduced to you by Global Healthy Living Foundation. The Global Healthy Living Foundation is a non-profit working to improve the quality of life for people living with chronic conditions through advocacy, education and patient-centred research. We wish to acknowledge the Duck and Young people as traditional custodians of the land on which I live and work. I pay respects to the elders past, present and future. Welcome to A Matter of Vax. I'm your host, Steph O'Connell. I'm a health advocate and health communicator with a career in public health and public affairs. This podcast we hear from Dr. Sasha Richardson, an ICU intensivist at Alfred Hospital in Melbourne. In recent weeks, Sasha has seen it all. Desperately hardworking healthcare workers coping with relentless demand for beds in ICU thanks to COVID-19. I've got a very important question for you to start with to help us paint the picture. What was it like working at the Alfred before the pandemic? Gosh, it seems a a little while ago now, but the Alfred's a busy metropolitan referral intensive care unit. We've got 55 beds and to staff those 55 beds, we've got about 400 ICU trained nurses and 60 critical care doctors. And about a third of our caseload would be trauma from around the state would be car accidents and farm accidents, people falling off ladders, severe head injuries, this kind of thing, people who need critical care. And about a third would be cardiac surgical cases or complex surgical cases. These would be kind of heart bypass surgeries, valve replacements. We do heart and lung transplant surgery as well. And then the the final third would be our medical ICU. So those would be people with pneumonias or leukemias, bone marrow transplants of severe diabetes when it's gone out of control. And that would fill up all of our 55 beds. We would be running at more or less 100% capacity all the time. Can you step us through what it's like now? The process, a patient coming in with COVID-19, they come to hospital, they're admitted and imagining that they're transferred to ICU. What's that process like? interesting to see the stepwise progression that occurs with COVID-19. And it should be said that the majority of people who contract COVID-19 can be managed at home and have symptoms that are a little bit like the flu. I think this is where why the misnomer comes, that it's just like the flu. But so about 90% of people will get flu-like symptoms and can be managed at home with Panadol and Nurofen and bed rest. The problem with COVID-19 is around about 5 to 10% of people will get more severe symptoms. And you Usually they start to struggle with their breathing and become very short of breath on minimal exertion. And that's because of inflammation that's occurring within the lungs and their oxygen levels start to drop and they need supplemental oxygen to maintain a safe level of blood oxygenation. And for them, they will come to the hospital. They'll be found to have low oxygen saturations and they will get admitted for supplemental oxygen therapy. And this usually occurs around about day five to seven of symptoms. And again, the majority of them will gradually get better over time. They'll wean off oxygen and be able to go back home and will do fine. Unfortunately, around about half of them, so that's now two and a half to 5% of the original cohort, will get worse. And despite supplemental oxygen, the lungs get more inflamed, their oxygen levels dip lower and lower. And despite really quite a lot of supplemental oxygen via nasal prongs, they are unable to maintain safe oxygen levels. And it's at that point that we would consider sending them down to the intensive care and under our care, where we have more advanced forms of ventilatory support. Last year, Victoria went through a critical phase with COVID. And of course, at that stage, we were talking about the alpha variant. This year, the wave's different. What is the difference between the two waves? 
So the alpha wave last year, you have to remember, we knew much less about the disease. And so we had less treatments, we had no vaccinations. And really our best line of defense was supportive cares, as I've described before, and lockdowns as a way of minimizing social interaction and therefore transmission. So the last wave, particularly in Victoria, was led to over 800 deaths. And it really came down to the population that it, it got into. So it found its way to our most vulnerable residents and it got into the nursing homes. And it's particularly lethal to people with underlying medical conditions. And as you get older as well with underlying medical conditions, the case fatality rate goes right up. What's different this year is despite the fact that Delta is actually more transmissible and it appears to actually be more lethal, it's actually more of a dangerous virus than the alpha variant, we have protected those higher risk members of our society by vaccinating them. We've vaccinated our healthcare workers who are looking after them. So that's reducing the risk of transmission into those settings. And we've also developed some therapies as well as the vaccinations, which are probably the single most important thing. We've discovered therapies that reduce the risk of dying from COVID. Hospital staff, GPs, healthcare workers across the board, we're hearing stories about them reaching breaking point. How are you coping? And is that what you're seeing? There's no doubt that the system's under increased strain at the moment, and that's that's all the way through the healthcare system. It should be sort of noted that the healthcare system doesn't a lot of spare capacity when it's running normally. It's designed to run at maximum efficiency. All the beds are being used, all the staff are busy with their jobs. And so then when you add in an extra whole load of work, COVID pandemic pneumonias, then there's got to be some give in the system. You may remember at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of talk about ventilators. We just need more ventilators and that'll solve the problem. What we've realized now is We've got enough ventilators, we've got enough physical beds, but it isn't just those two things that you need in order to look after somebody with COVID pneumonia. You've got to staff that bed with appropriately trained nurse and a medical team. How has COVID-19 changed the hospital, changed you? Has it? From a personal perspective, I've been very fortunate to work in a role where we can assist the community during a pandemic. I get to go to work. I get to earn a living. Um, I, I can interact with my work colleagues in a relatively, inverted commas, normal environment. And I'm very aware of people who've had their livelihoods decimated by the pandemic. They've been socially isolated, staying at home, unable to see friends and family. And, you know, that's really tough. And it's been a huge ask of the community in order to do that. I am certain that by doing that, we have saved thousands of lives, of Australian lives. And so when this is all said and done, I think we will look back at it and be grateful for the sacrifices that have been made by the community, particularly Melbourne, but also many people in New South Wales and around the country. What would you say to the community? I'd say that we're all living this experience together and the healthcare community wants to support the general community as much as they possibly can. We know, as has been sort of proven really by the numbers and the science, that vaccination is the best way to protect yourself. It's the best way to protect your friends and family by minimizing the chance of you getting infected and then minimizing the chance of transmission. But then if you do get sick, the hospital system is there to protect you and to help you. Is there light at the end of this COVID tunnel, Sasha? Well, yes, of course. Yeah, it's been a remarkable 18 months. From uh, science and human endeavour, I would say it's probably been the single greatest things of the last 18 months. And that in itself has been pretty illuminating, in my opinion. It's been a great sort of moment that humans have responded to a, an event like this. So whilst COVID, I believe, will continue to circulate, and it's 
possible that it'll circulate in reasonably high numbers over the next couple of winters. I think it'll then follow a similar pattern to influenza, which is that it'll always be there sort of percolating in the community in sort of low numbers. Occasionally it'll bubble up typically during a winter time and then sort of peter out. But as more and more people have got protection through vaccination and then antibodies if they do get exposed, it'll become less and less of a serious disease like influenza. Talking about vaccination in your health can be a difficult conversation. Our hope is to make it easier for you to understand and communicate these important subjects to your community. Please share this podcast with friends and family and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to hear more of Matter of Facts. To learn more, please visit our website ghlf.org.au for vaccination facts video explainers and patient stories from all over Australia and be sure to subscribe to our news and community support from GHLF. You can also find us at Facebook and Twitter at GHLF Australia. I'm Steph O'Connell for Global Healthy Living Foundation and this is Matter of Facts.